Hello, this is Helga Edwards, and I'm here with my husband Bob. Today we will be reading Genesis chapter 43 from the Good News Bible, today's English version, beginning at verse 1. The famine in Canaan got worse, and when the family of Jacob had eaten all the grain which had been brought from Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, Go back and buy a little food for us. Judah said to him, The man sternly warned us that we would not be admitted to his presence unless we had our brother with us. If you are willing to send our brother with us, we will go and buy food for you. If you are not willing, we will not go, because the man told us we would not be admitted to his presence unless our brother was with us. Jacob said, Why did you cause me so much trouble by telling the man that you had another brother? They answered, The man kept asking about us and our family. Is your father still living? Do you have another brother? We had to answer his questions. How could we know that he would tell us to bring our brother with us? Judah said to his father, Send the boy with me, and we will all leave at once. Then none of us will starve to death. I will pledge my own life, and you can hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you safe and sound, I will always bear the blame. If we had not waited so long, we could have been there and back twice by now. Their father said to them, If that is how it has to be, then take the best products of the land in your packs as a present for the governor, a little resin, a little honey, spices, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take with you also twice as much money because you must take back the money that was returned in the top of your sacks. Maybe it was a mistake. Take your brother and return at once. May Almighty God cause the man to have pity on you, so that he will give Benjamin and your other brother back to you. As for me, if I must lose my children, I must lose them. So the brothers took the gifts and twice as much money and set out for Egypt with Benjamin. There they presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the servant in charge of his house, Take these men to my house. They are going to eat with me at noon, so kill an animal and prepare it. The servant did as he was commanded and took the brothers to Joseph's house. As they were being brought to the house, they were afraid and thought, We are being brought here because of the money that was returned in our sacks the first time. They will suddenly attack us, take our donkeys, and make us his slaves. So at the door of the house, they said to the servant in charge, If you please, sir, we came here once before to buy food. When we set up camp on the way home, we opened our sacks, and each man found his money in the top of his sack, every bit of it. We have brought it back to you. We have also brought some more money with us to buy more food. We do not know who put our money back in our sacks. The servant said, Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, must have put the money in your sacks for you. I received your payment. Then he brought Simeon to them. The servant took the brothers into the house. He gave them water so that they could wash their feet, and he fed their donkeys. They got their gifts ready to present to Joseph when he arrived at noon, because they had all been told that they were to eat with him. When Joseph got home, they took the gifts into the house to him and bowed down to the ground before him. He asked about their health and then said, You told me about your old father. How is he? Is he alive and well? They answered, 
Your humble servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they knelt and bowed down before him. When Joseph saw his brother Benjamin, he said, So this is your youngest brother, the one you told me about. God bless you, my son. Then Joseph left suddenly because his heart was full of tender feelings for his brother. He was about to break down, so he went to his room and cried. After he had washed his face, he came out, and controlling himself, he ordered the meal to be served. Joseph was served at one table and his brothers at another. The Egyptians who were eating there were served separately because they considered it beneath their dignity to eat with Hebrews. The brothers had been seated at the table facing Joseph in the order of their age, from the oldest to the youngest. When they saw how they had been seated, they looked at one another in amazement. Food was served to them from Joseph's table, and Benjamin was served five times as much as the rest of them. So they ate and drank with Joseph until they were drunk. Here ends our reading of Genesis chapter 43. After many years of hardship and separation, Joseph is finally reunited with his brother Benjamin, the only other son of Israel that had Rachel for a mother. Unfortunately, in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 43, the Good News translation that we just read from makes an error. It identifies the speaker in the verse as Jacob, when in reality the Hebrew text and Greek Septuagint both use the name Israel. The Good News Bible repeats this error in Genesis 35 verse 21, 37 verse 3, and Genesis 46 verse 1. This systematic error in translation obscures an important aspect of the story. As renowned 19th century scholar and rabbi Abraham Geiger points out, in the scriptures the name Israel appears instead of Jacob wherever Joseph and his brother Benjamin are concerned. Why is this important? Joseph and Benjamin were miraculously conceived. Their mother Rachel was physically unable to bear children. Genesis 30 verse 22 tells us, Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. The language used in the Greek Septuagint tells us that God listened, hearkened, or gave ear to Rachel. Similar language is used in Genesis 21 verse 12. Here God tells Abraham, Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In both Bible passages, a child who is born through faith is mentioned, and in both verses, someone listens to a woman. In Genesis 21 verse 12, it is Abraham who listens. In Genesis 30 verse 22, it is God. If the name Israel is omitted from the text of Genesis 43 verse 6, it is easy for the reader to overlook an important aspect of the story. Israel and his family were saved from famine through Joseph, a son who was miraculously conceived when God listened to Rachel's prayers. When the text is altered, it is also easier to overlook the central role played by Israel in God's revelation to humanity. As historian Norman Cantor points out, the story of Israel, the man, the family, the people, and the nation is intended to be a picture of how God relates to the human race. 
It is through Israel that God revealed his law. It is also from Israel that God chose prophets to foretell the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who was also a descendant of Israel. Many Bible commentators highlight that the story of Joseph in Genesis 43 and the surrounding chapters is a prophetic foreshadowing of Jesus' ministry. Jesus, a descendant of the tribe of Judah, gave his life to atone for humanity's sin. He did this so that estranged children could be reconciled to God through faith. In Genesis 43 verse 9, Judah foreshadows Christ by being willing to pledge his life as a guarantee of Benjamin's safety. Judah promises at the risk of his own life that Benjamin will not be taken from Israel as Joseph was. Jacob, now called Israel, must put his faith in Judah's promise. Because he is willing to do this, Israel is finally reunited with Joseph and all of Israel's children are reconciled to one another. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul compares the story of Israel to the Christian faith. Faith in the miraculous power of God often rescued the people of Israel from times of hardship. Rachel's faith in God, for instance, resulted in the miraculous birth of Joseph when she was physically unable to bear children. Similarly, it is faith in the gospel message of Jesus that results in miraculous spiritual rebirth. When we change the language of the Bible with regards to Israel, we can easily fail to recognize the significance of the Jewish people to the gospel message. It is through the Jewish people that God has chosen to reveal himself to the world. As Jesus himself said in John 4 verse 22, salvation is from the Jews. When we lose sight of this reality, it becomes easier to marginalize and even demonize the Jewish race. As far as the church is concerned, this process of marginalization began in Rome. Unfortunately, Genesis 43.6 is not the only error in the Good News translation that can contribute to the marginalization of the Jewish people. Other passages that do not accurately reflect the meaning of the Greek text can be found in John 12.40, Luke 20.20, and John chapter 8, verses 43 and 47. The cumulative impact of these errors and the source of their bias are highlighted in an article written by Hans Forster in the journal entitled The Bible Translator, published on December 1, 2018. Forster highlights how ancient Roman anti-Semitism found its way first into Latin translations of the Bible in the 4th century AD, only to be repeated in the German translation of Martin Luther and by English translators of the 16th century AD. Sadly, this bias has been copied over into some newer translations of the Bible, including the Good News Bible we read from today. The overall impact of these verses is to wrongly cast the Jewish people as enemies of God, enemies who are said to be predestined to suffer God's punishment. St. Augustine, an influential 4th century Roman bishop, compared the entire Jewish race to Cain, marked by God to bear witness through their hard-heartedness 
to the alleged superiority of the church. This type of thinking is not the language of faith and humility. It is not the language of the true church of Jesus Christ. It is the language of Rome and an institutional church that had newly become an arm of Roman political power. According to numerous historians and to first century witnesses such as Flavius Josephus, Rome viewed the Jewish people and their uncompromising faith as a threat to the cohesion of the empire. Loyalty to the Roman emperor was reinforced by cultic belief and ritual, something the people of Israel repeatedly refused to accept. When religious difference blended with armed revolt in the first century AD, shortly after the time of Jesus, Rome responded not just with crushing violence, but also with a generalizing hate. The nature of this response is completely absent from the pages of the Greek New Testament. It is echoed, however, in the writings of the 4th century Bible commentators and translators, as well as the work of 16th century reformers who drew heavily from their work. A parallel process has served to marginalize women in the church. Through the bias of 4th century Bible translators and commentators, who had just become representatives of the Roman state, the church was distorted to become an institution that preserved the power of Roman men. Just as it was with an anti-Jewish bias, so too was an anti-woman bias introduced into Jerome's 4th century translation of the Bible called the Latin Vulgate. For example, while ancient Aramaic and Greek texts of Isaiah 3.12 warned the leaders of Israel not to extort money from the poor, Jerome's Vulgate warns against the leadership of women. An English translation of this verse, based on Jerome's Vulgate, reads as follows, quote, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy paths. Unquote. The same verse found in an English translation based upon ancient Aramaic and Greek manuscripts, reads, quote, Moneylenders oppress my people, and their creditors cheat them. My people, your leaders are misleading you, so that you do not know which way to turn. Unquote. An anti-woman bias was introduced into the text by St. Jerome. Similarly, in the New Testament Greek, of Romans 16.2, Phoebe, a woman, is described as a prostatus. The verb form of this Greek word is used by the Apostle Paul in Romans 12.8 to describe the spiritual gift of leadership. When St. Jerome translated Romans 16.2, however, he referred to Phoebe using the Latin adstitit, a reference to coming alongside to assist Jerome used a term related to a subordinate role, whereas the Apostle Paul had used a term related to leadership. In its original languages and contexts, the Bible does not marginalize women or the people of Israel. Instances of ancient prejudice were introduced into a Latin translation of the text at a time when the church had newly become an arm of the Roman state. How thankful we can be for the greater access we now have to ancient manuscripts of the Bible. 
Manuscripts that remind us in Ephesians 2.14 and Galatians 3.28 that Jesus came to break down the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, and also between women and men.